Welcome to the podcast of the Believer's Bible Class, a part of the historic First Baptist Church located in downtown Dallas, Texas. Each week we share the Bible lesson from our longtime teacher, Doug Brady. Doug has studied the biblical scriptures throughout his life and is knowledgeable in both ancient Greek and Hebrew, which makes his explanations of scripture all the more interesting and most certainly all the more accurate. Professionally, Doug is an attorney, although he considers his Bible teaching as his godly profession. We're continuing with our ongoing study of the Old Testament book of Daniel, and class teacher Doug Brady has done a premier job of breaking down this prophetic book and the information that God left for us in the pages of our Bible. Today's lesson, titled, The Man Who Was Treasured, is taken from Daniel chapter 10, and you will want to follow along as we progress through this lesson. The Believer's Bible Class is part of the historic First Baptist Church located in downtown Dallas, Texas. Our class meets every Sunday morning at 9.15 in Lavorne Hall, located on the lower level of the new Worship Center building. We'd love to have you share with us and visit our class when you're in the area. Well, Doug is at the podium ready to begin, so let's go into the classroom of the Believer's Bible Class. Here now is our longtime teacher, Doug Brady. We are studying the book of Daniel, and we have been finding some things out. If you look about this final vision, let me ask you, who or what is this final vision going to be about? Does anybody know? Who? Israel. How can we know that? Oh, well, that's, that's a good point. It works well for you, does it not? Julie? What's your sweet number? Uh, 610. I don't know. I could probably come up with some... No. Look at Daniel 10, 14. Now I have come to give you an understanding of what will happen to your people in the latter days. Who is Daniel's people? Israel. For the vision pertains to days yet future. Now, Dawn, I have a question for you. No, not you. Dawn. The dawn of the day. Will there be a distinction made in what's going to happen in the future for the period of time that the church is going to exist? Yes or no? In this vision? No. Why not? Because I don't know about the church. And does God want them to know about the church? No. No. It's a secret. It's a mystery. Because it would have a chilling effect on their decision whether or not to receive their Messiah when he comes. So you won't see the church in there. Number two, the thing that we are learning in Daniel chapter 10, is there really such a thing as spiritual warfare? Absolutely there is. Could it be that there are godly angelic beings present in this room today? Yes. Could it be that there are also demonic beings in this room today? I can tell you. Well, because of, uh, of uh, an Amalekite's presence, that more than likely they are here. But the fact is, that is the case. Now, I want to have a vote now. You know, we're a very democratic class. How many people here think in this vision 
there's only one person there from heaven, that is the angelic messenger. Raise your hand if you think there's only one. All right, I've got no hands up. Now, how many think there's only two and that one of them's the messenger angel and one of them is Michael? Raise your hand. I've got one, two, three, four, a very few. How many believe that there's the messenger angel, there's Michael, and Jesus is there? Raise your hand. We have a vast majority. I'm going to show you today that you're wrong. Yes, I will. But we'll see. (laughs) Well, there's people who didn't answer the question, and yes, we ignore those people. Yes, now. All right. So we're going to go to this conversational exchange now between Daniel and the messenger. And in preparation for receiving the explanation of the vision and by way of explanation, what's going on. So this is going to be a conversation that's going to lead up into Daniel chapter 11 when the vision is going to start in chapter 11, verse 2. But before we read this next passage, let's ask the Lord to bless our study today in prayer. Father, we want to thank you for allowing us to have Bibles. We want to thank you for allowing us to be literate so that we can read and study your Bible. We want to thank you for preserving the Bible in such great way and how accurate it is to the original autographed copies. We thank you for that. And then, Father, we thank you particularly for this study of Daniel and how many things it shows us that we wouldn't know otherwise but for Daniel. Now, Father, I thank you for the greatly increased traffic on our website and how from Thursday to today there were more hits than there ever has been in the past. And I thank you for that. I thank you that people want to use the materials there to study on their own and then to teach other groups. And Father, I just thank you for the commitment of the people who are here, my friends and companions here, uh, who want to come and study God's Word together. And so I pray that you direct our study today and that you bring us to a clear vision of what you are doing and what you want for us. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, let's start in Daniel 10, verse 15, in this conversation. And when he, that is the messenger angel had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and became speechless. And behold, one who resembled a human being was touching my lips. And then I opened my mouth and I spoke to him. And I said to him who was standing before me, O my Lord, as a result of the vision, anguish has come upon me and I've retained no strength For how can such a servant as my Lord talk uh, as such uh, to my, as my Lord? And as for me, there remains just no strength in me, nor is any breath left in me. Uh, And then this one with human appearance touched me again and strengthened me. Now I want you to look at this a second. If you remember when we studied Daniel chapter 8, right at the end of chapter 8, The last verse, it says, and this vision was disturbing to me, and it made me sick for a number of days. In other words, Daniel, being in close proximity to Gabriel, who brought him the message, 
he was sick, physically ill, for a long time as a result of it. And I want, I want you to see that and think that through just a second. He's, that, that that effect is there. Now, here he has one or two or three people from heaven in front of him. These people are holy. Now, somebody said, no way, only God is holy. No, these angels have to be holy because they can't be in the presence of God if they're not holy. Now, do you remember the passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 where it says this corruptible has have to take on incorruptible and this unholy has to take on holy. Why? Because you can't live in heaven that way. And this is the effect. Look at the effect this has had on Daniel this time. He's speechless. So much so that he just, all he can do is lay with his face on the ground, his face in the ground. Now, don't you think about that a second. That's not a comfortable way to lay down, is it? I mean, is there anybody here who sleeps with their face in the pillow, flat down on your belly? I don't know anybody. You may sleep on your stomach, but you have your head turned to one side, but his face is directly into the ground. Notice also, he had anguish. What does anguish mean? Severe pain. Uh, he, he had no strength. Totally weak as a result of this. And, and he, I mean, if this wasn't 536, you'd think the man had COVID-19. Now, of course, Fauci hadn't created it yet. But, <laughs> no, wait, 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 wait. Let's, and thank goodness they didn't put a respirator on him or we would not have got a God in this prophecy. But the fact is, this is the effect of being around these angelic beings. Now, knowing that, how many of you would like to meet up with an angel this afternoon in close proximity and talk to him? Well, between the football games. <laughs> no, nor in the football games. You'd have to miss the football games because you'd be sick. No, you'd be sicker. But the fact is, some of you would like to. It's questionable. You'd be out maybe three weeks. But I want you to know that that's the way this is working, and that is what is going on. But now, I want you to think about this. Several times they had to touch Daniel or speak to him in such a way to strengthen him. Uh, yes, in fact, we'll get to that important passage from Isaiah, I think. Because there's a principle here I want you to see. God many times can best strengthen us when we're worn out and exhausted. I want you to think about this. All of us have a certain amount of strength. And then you start expending it, and it depletes your strength. The more strength of yours that's depleted, the more God can fill in with his strength. You see that? If you're real strong and you haven't expended it, he can't fill in much with his strength. It's like a glass of water. If I've got it filled with dirty water... What good is a little bit of, but if you get rid of that water, then you can pour in the pure, clean water. That's the way this works. And in fact, I'm going to show you this. Jesus took advantage of this several times. Once was in Matthew. And in Matthew, chapter 4, I believe, verse 11, isn't it? In that verse, what was happening, he was out fasting for 40 days. Now, I've done some fasting, but I don't think I could fast for 40 days. I don't think I'd make it. But anyway, he did. And he was completely worn out. And he'd expended everything. And then who came to strengthen him? Angels. 
Now, sometimes they translate it encourage, but strengthen is a better translation of that word, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Do you remember when Jesus was completely worn out in the garden? Were John and Peter and James there helping him and encouraging him? Nope. So he had to rely on an angel to do that, to strengthen him. Now, this principle is clearly set out, and I want you to see it. I want you to think about this. may be a good verse for you to memorize. It's in Isaiah chapter 40, starting in verse 28. Do you not know, or have you not heard, the everlasting God... The Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired, and they will walk. And not get weary. Can you think of an example of someone running in the scripture and not getting tired? Paul? I would think of Elijah. 26.4 miles. Beat the king's chariot. Back to Samaria. Philip in the book of Acts. He was running up to the chariot, right? This is a principle that maybe we ought to memorize. We ought to be able to say, those who wait on the Lord will gain Their strength back? Is that what it says? No, new strength. Who does that strength come from? God. Exactly. Now, as we're watching and listening this, we remember that Daniel is practicing unhindered persistence in his prayer. And the message that God has sent to him eventually got through. Do you think that Satan was at the heart of preventing that message getting through? Do you think that Satan ever wants to prevent God's answers from coming to you today when you pray? Sometimes we want to say, well, God doesn't seem to be answering. Could it be that Satan is trying to hinder, to put doubt in your heart? God really doesn't answer your prayers. Doug, you don't need to pray anymore. You didn't think Satan would like me to think that way or want you to think that way? Of course he does. And this is something he does, and we have to recognize this spiritual warfare that's going on. I mean, for us, God's answers don't always come through immediately. Two things. First, uh, Vera. Because of that, whenever I get on my knees, uh, always the first thing I do is ask God for his hands of protection to prevent me from being distracted by the enemy. He does want to distract your prayer or have you go to sleep or something else. Charles. Sorry to backtrack on you just a minute, though. Back on the number of angels or the beings that we're talking about. We'll get to that. So, now I want you to think about this. We've all agreed here that Satan blocked this message for a period of time, right? Who was in control of when the message and the messenger arrived at Daniel's location? God. God was. So God allowed that to happen, didn't he? He wanted to use that. Do you see, Satan, I mean, God many times uses Satan to accomplish his will. I mean, if you look at it carefully, who was it that really caused Jesus to get crucified? Satan. Who used that? That was all part of his plan. Satan didn't know his plan well enough. You say, but wait a second. It talks about that in the Old Testament. Ah, we're going to get to that in just a minute. Why? I think I've got an answer because I've been pondering on that question for a long time. 
could God have chosen to bring Daniel just directly to himself like he did Isaiah and give him the message? Could have. Could God have chosen to come directly to Daniel as he did with Joshua or Gideon? Because some of you say, well, he did. He sent Jesus there. I don't think so. But we'll talk about that in an instance, in a minute. Why then did he do what he did in this instance? Because we, like Daniel, must learn to continue in earnest, fervent prayer until God provides us the answer. He wants someone who will continue to persevere in their prayers. He doesn't want a one-and-done prayer. You see, but all you'd have to do is ask him once. No, it pleases God when we continue praying for him. And if you look at Daniel's life, example after example after example, he does exactly that. Now, Daniel here in this passage describes our existence in the present as a time of spiritual warfare. His time, our time, spiritual warfare. Should we really think that we're in the midst of a spiritual warfare? Yes. Well, if so, should we get ready to fight? Well, what did Daniel do in getting ready to fight? I think he did four things. Four things. Number one, he chose to live an uncompromising life. We learned that in the very first chapter. I am not going to compromise. And in fact, we looked at nine characteristics or eight characteristics of uncompromising life. You might want to look back in those early lessons and see that. Number two, he sought spiritual understanding through concerted times of prayer. You see, he went asking God, give me understanding. Give me the knowledge that I need to know. Number three, he humbled himself before God Almighty. When he went before him in concerted prayer, he would always humble himself. Now, what is the main way Daniel humbled himself in chapter 10? Fasting. Well, yeah, but we don't do that anymore. That was all kind of an Old Testament thing, right? <laughs> Nobody in the New Testament did that. Wait, Jesus did. I forgot. You know, 21st century, we don't do that, right? He doesn't call on us to do that, does he? And the time's coming when we're going to need it more and more and more. And you think about this, if a husband's away from a wife, what is it would really bring him back is the mistreatment and attacks on the wife. I believe that's what's coming. Mistreatment and attacks on the bride of Christ. And that's what's going to bring him back. Number four, learn the contents of his book. What did Daniel do in chapter nine before he started praying. He's reading Jeremiah. I want understanding of this. He didn't know to ask for that until he read, until he came to understand. And I think that's very important for us to see. Now, you look at just these four things. I didn't try not to give a great big list. These four things. How many of these are you doing? Now, I'm not answering, ask you to ask, answer out loud. So Don, don't, don't give your answer. You're safe. Uh, good. <laughs> So we need to think about this. Why don't, why wouldn't it be a good idea for today or this evening, or you pick a time to lay these four things out, write them out on a piece of paper in your own handwriting, and then get down on your knees and say, God, 
am I doing this? And I think his answer is going to be not anywhere near as well as you need to. What do I need to do? Do you think if I was to ask God that, he would say, Doug, you're going to have to figure that out on your own. I'm not telling you. No, he wouldn't say that. He wants you to know. He wants me to know. He wants us doing this. He wants us. Pre he wants prepared warriors. You know, I can remember a time in my life when I used to think, you know, well, when it comes to spiritual warriors, that's really the men. You know, women, they're not warriors. Men are. And the, as my time has gone on in life, I've come to see the fallaciousness of that statement. In fact, if I was on Satan's side, I can think of one woman here in this room. Uh, I'm not going to say uh, Vera's name or anything so you would know who I'm talking about. But I wouldn't want to be in, against her in a spiritual warfare because she fights and she fights regularly. And I shouldn't have said her name because now she's going to be embarrassed. But the fact is we need to fight and we are all equal in that fight. And Julie constantly is seeing things. You didn't even see that, Doug. But did you, you need to realize this. Mark. If you look at the history of this church, it would not have worked for praying. You're absolutely right. I used to live with one, my mother. So that's clear. Uh, <laughs> but yes. Now, let's look at the return trip for just a moment starting in Daniel 10, 19. And he said, this is the messenger angel, O man of high esteem, and that's, remember, Daniel's reputation, do not be afraid, peace be with you, take courage and be courageous. Now, as soon as he spoke to me, I received strength. And I said, may my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, do you understand why I came to you? But I shall now return to fight against the prince of Persia. And I'm also going to forth, and behold, the prince of Greece is about to come. So he had to fight his way in, and now he's going to have to fight his way out. Now, who is this prince of Persia? Are we talking about Cyrus or somebody like that? No, we're talking about a demonic being that it appears Satan has put in charge of Persia. And he has a number of other demonic beings under him. And this messenger angel is going to have to fight his way through. Then, after he gets past the prince of Persia, who is he going to fight? Prince the prince of Greece. And here's the same thing. Do you notice who's next is going to be the empire that's controlling Israel? Greece. Now, does Israel and Daniel have anybody on their side? Who's the angel on their side? Michael. Now, it's interesting. When the creation was first made, now, let me not say it that way. When angels were first created, because I'm convinced that angels were created before the earth was raised, before the heavens and the earth. So, when angels were first created, who was the mightiest angel of all? Lucifer. Will that ever change? Yes. Michael is being promoted. How do you know that? Because if you look in the book of Revelation, especially chapter 12, he is going to get in a fight with Satan and he's going to win. He being Michael. Exactly. So I want you to notice something. In this passage, it seems like something is really redundant to me. 
take courage and be courageous. And I thought, well, maybe that's two different words in the Hebrew. So I looked it up. They're exactly the same words, exactly the same verb. They're verbs, the same verb in the same context, in the same grammatical setting. Why would you do that? Well, the translators of the New American Standard Bible, they understood here what was trying to be said. Because you see, those two statements are a little bit different. Take courage and be courageous. You see that? Now, one is a statement of supply. The other is a statement of choice. Now, I want you to think about this just a second. Julie, if you were in a situation, I know this rarely happens, but you were in a situation where you're really scared, okay? And I told you, Julie, be courageous. Would that really help much? You could say, well, yeah, how do I be really? I'm scared to death. How do I get to be courageous? But if you had somebody supplying you courage, then you could make the choice to be courageous, couldn't you? This is what he's talking about here. God will supply you courage. You have to make the choice to be courageous. Just like he said to Joshua in the first chapter of the book of Joshua. So take courage means take, accept the supply I'm giving you. Remember what the kind of prayer of supplication is about? Seeking supply. And here of courage. Mark. You know, what you're saying reminds me of Peter. Before, the Holy, before he was indwelt with the Holy Spirit, he denied Christ three times. But once the Holy Spirit empowered him, he went the whole distance and proudly <clears throat> proclaimed it. And to, and, you know, the, the tradition says he was crucified upside down. I heard a black pastor one time explain it like this, Mark. He said, Peter was like a box with a bunch of sand and gravel and water in there. And he'd slosh this way and slosh this way and you had nothing. But then the Holy Spirit came, and it was like putting cement in that box. And then he turned into a rock. And I thought, that's a beautiful example. And then you say, God, put that Holy Spirit worth of cement in me so I can be a rock too. And so I want you to think about this for just a second and understand supply, choice. He supplies, you make the choice. Now, this angelic messenger had to fight his way out. And we, we begin to see that fight taking on. Now, if Persia and Greece, at Daniel's time, had demonic prince, princes, no disrespect, Persia and Greece, uh, the nation of Israel has an archangel assigned to it in Michael. What about our country? Do you think there are demonic Angelic beings assigned to the United States of America? Do you think that God also has heavenly angels assigned to the United States of America? Yes, he does. And I think, yes, they do. First of all, imagine a world where there was never a United States of America. Imagine the missions that didn't happen. Imagine the advancement of spiritual matters. Imagine protecting the world from communism, from the Nazis, and over and over and over. Now, Satan would want to do everything he could to destroy that nation, which was really a gift from God. And God would want to preserve it. And there has been this spiritual warfare in our country. And if you see what's going on in our country today, 
you can tell that there's demonic influence going on. Now, yes, not only in the United States, but in Afghanistan and Pakistan and Saudi Arabia and Iran and Syria and Lebanon and all of those places, right? So here we go. We see this demonic influence, but this is where the question comes up that I want us to ponder. Does Satan know the Bible? Did he quote a passage? Well, misquote a passage to Jesus in the wilderness. Yes, he does. He knows. Well, now, wait a second. If he knows what his final end is, why does he keep fighting? And if you say he doesn't know, Vera reminds him all the time. So why does he keep fighting? That was the question. I think Kathy asked me this question. And my first answer to her was, well, what else does he have to do? I mean, he can either keep fighting or he can say, okay, throw me in the pit or the lake and let's be done with it. But as I started thinking about it, I wasn't as satisfied with that answer. It sounded like a logical answer. But in these kind of matters, logic maybe is not the best tool to use. Then I thought, wait a second. Who does Satan hate? He hates, really, human beings. He hates them. And there's a certain type of human being that he hates the most, and that's Israel. He hates Israel. He also hates the bride. But he can't do anything. He wants to take down as many as he can with him. But then as I thought about that, I wasn't satisfied with that answer. And so I started praying, and I got shown a different direction that I want to share with you. Now, you're going to have to stay with me as I go through this, but I, I want you to, to see what I think has gone on, because it can explain some other things to us. In the first, uh, I'm going to call, in the first passage or the first part of the book of Proverbs, God says, the fear of the Lord is what? Wisdom. I heard, heard wisdom and knowledge. I hate to tell you, everybody said wisdom. You're wrong. You've got to listen to the question. In the first part of the book of Proverbs, he says the fear of the Lord. Let's look at it now. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's not until the middle of the passages or the middle of the book that he talks about wisdom. But we're going to get to that in a second. But I want you to see that. It's the beginning of knowledge. It's knowing things. Now, in Daniel's prayer here in chapter, well, let's go to chapter 9 first. What did he want? He wanted knowledge. I want you to tell me when the 70 years is going to be up and we can go back. Now it's, I want to know what is going to happen to my nation. You've told me all these things that are so disturbing. What is going to happen to my people? He wants to know. Now, is it just satisfactory to just have knowledge? No, there's something that needs to come with it. Let me give you an example. I know the accuracy of this formula. E equals MC squared. Energy equals mass times the speed of light squared. But what does that really mean? Uh, how, how do you get mass going the speed of light squared? The speed of light, I mean, my goodness, that's 186,000 miles a second. And you square that? How could you ever get anything going that fast? Uh, how does that make any sense? And what do you get when you do that? What kind of energy? 
What is it contained in something? You know, understanding that. First you get knowledge, and then what do you have to have? Understanding. Then you take your knowledge and your understanding and you apply it, and what do you have? Wisdom. So look at this next verse here. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Who gives you that understanding? The Holy One. So you see, there's a progress here. Do I have an illustration of that, Jerry? So knowledge comes first, then comes understanding, and then comes wisdom. And you see that progression there. Now, why are we talking about that? Uh, There's two books in the Bible that you would go to if you wanted to find out something really about Satan. And where would those two books be? Genesis. Hebrews. Say that again, Damaris. Isaiah and Ezekiel. Isaiah and Ezekiel. Why didn't you listen to her? Well, I didn't I, give her a chance. Well, that's the problem. So, Isaiah first. Isaiah 14, 12 through 14. How have you fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn? You have been cut down to the earth, you who have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recess of the north. I will ascend to the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Now let's look at that. What did Satan do? He said, I will ascend to heaven. He's ascending above whom? Not God. Give us the next one. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. Who are the stars of God? Angelic beings. It uses that term in Job, uses that term in Revelation chapter 12. So he's saying, I'm going to be above all the angels. And then let's go to the next one. I'm going to sit on the Mount of the Assembly of the Resources in the North. Now, I can't tell you exactly what that means, but that is something that God has set up. The next one, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. Now, here's the final one to see. I will make myself like the most high. Do you see that? He is going to be claim equality with God. Now, he's not saying I'm going to rule over God. I'm going to be like him. I'm going to be above all the other angels, and I'm going to be like God. Now, is, of course, is that sin. And what is the source of that sin in him? Pride. Pride. Well, let's test that. Let's turn to Ezekiel uh, chapter 28. We're going to start in verse 14 here, and I want you to see that. But let me ask you a question before we start here. Let me ask you this. Do you think that saying those things, saying those things would make God angry? Well, if he knows that God's going to be angered by that kind of response, because see, that's the first sin to ever occur. What has he lost? The fear of the Lord. Lord, Exactly right. Do you see that? You don't say that if you're not, you only say that if you're not scared of God. That God, you know, God's going to do so. You don't think God's going to respond if you say, well, I'm going to be like you. I'm going to make myself equal with you. God doesn't put up with that kind of stuff. But he's lost the fear of God. Now, go back to uh, Ezekiel. You were the anointed cherub who covers, and I placed you there. This is God speaking. You were on the holy mountain of God. 
You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. You were blameless in your ways until the day you were created, from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. Who found that? God. Do you think you can hide anything from God? Sometimes we think we do. We can. Well, I can think things and nobody else will know. Yes, they will. By the abundance of your trade, you were internally filled with violence and you sinned. Therefore, I have cast you as profane from the mountain of God. And I have destroyed you, O covering chair, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You're corrupt. You corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. I cast you to the ground and I put you before kings that they may see you. Now let's look at that just a second. I want you to go. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. What is that evidence of? Pride. Pride. You're by reason of your splendor. Pride. Now, here's the key part. The next one, Jerry. You corrupted your wisdom. You corrupted your wisdom. What does that mean? You had so much knowledge and so much understanding, and then you sinned. And what did that sin cause? What did it bring about? A corruption of your wisdom. Satan doesn't have it down anymore. That's the reason he keeps fighting. He's like a madman. His wisdom, his knowledge has been corrupted. It's like when you're using your computer and you click on a file and what happens, Jerry? Oh, this file is corrupted. You can't use that file anymore, can you? Now, there may be some wizard who could correct it, but I certainly can't. When I get there, I'm a dead end. Uh, your file is corrupted. That's what happened to Satan by his sin. His wisdom was corrupted, and now he fights. You have a question, Pat? No, Pat, she said something really good. She said he's the father of lies, and he's believing his own lies. He's believing his own lies. I think that's true. That's a very good point, Patsy. He's believing his own lies. Yeah, speak out. Don't let Julie speak for you. Uh, now, that's the reason he keeps fighting. That's the reason those angels are following him. They're following a madman. Well, not man, but a mad angelic being who was the most powerful angelic being ever created at the start. And what about those who are following him as far as human beings. Their wisdom is also corrupted. You went, Chris? If his wisdom is corrupted, that means his understanding is corrupted. Yes. And he can't get there. He can't understand. He thinks he can win. Just like he thought at the very start. Well, I can make myself uh, equal with the Most High. I can be like the Most High. He's corrupted his wisdom and understanding, and he can't do it. But he thinks he can. Now, I'd have gotten there a lot sooner if I'd listened to Julie the first time I asked her that question. But, you know, I kind of has to find out on my own because I'm a little uh, patsy. The reason why he hates us so bad as Christians or humans is that God provided a way for us to become what he really wants. You're exactly right. He, that's a very important insight. Did you hear that? He said that one of the reasons he hates us so badly is because, yes, he caused us to sin like he had sinned, but God has provided us a way to become higher than the angels. Envious and jealous. And he hates us. And 
you know, because of that, we need to recognize this. Have you ever heard in the four spiritual laws, God loves you and he has a wonderful plan for your life. There is the exact opposite of that. Satan hates you and he's got a horrible plan for your life. And if you're already a believer, he's going to try to do everything he can to stop you from receiving Jesus as your savior. But if you have, he is going to try to make you the most ineffectual, unusable believer that there ever has been. That's his plan for you. That's what he wants for you. Hopefully, we're not falling for that trap. If you look there in the scriptures, it will, I mean, in the notes, it will give you the un- understanding of the word, Hebrew words for wisdom and, and for uh, corruption, to, means to ruin, pervert, or corrupt. And that seems like Satan's game plan, to ruin, pervert, or corrupt. And you look across our nation, and you see its leaders... And you see the same thing. Men and women who do not understand the true knowledge and whose wisdom is corrupted. How can they help it? Yes. Yes, that hasn't happened yet. But as far as God's concerned, it has. In Revelation, at the final battle, they're going to see it. And then again... In the final rebellion at the end of the millennial kingdom. Now, there's some interesting things in the rest of this chapter. Let's see if we can get to them real quickly. Daniel 10, 21a. However, I tell you. Who's speaking again now? Messenger angel. However, I will tell you what is inscribed in the writing of truth. Now, wait a second. The writing of truth. What is that? That's certainly not the book of Daniel. Because it hasn't been written yet, or at least this part hasn't. The writing of truth. Well, could that be an incorrect translation? Well, I have every major translation here for you. In the ESV, which some people prefer, it calls it the book of truth. In the King James, it calls it the scripture of truth. Of course, New American Standard writing of truth. New King James, scripture of truth. NLT, I don't know why I put that one up there. The book of truth. But do you see... It's, there's, they're all translating it the same way, basically. Well, what is this writing of truth? Well, certainly you could take, I thought to myself, if I could take my computer, I could put that in in a search and look for writing of truth, uh, book of truth, scripture of truth, and find where else in the Bible it talks about that. Do you know where else in the Bible it talks about that? Nowhere. This is the only time we're given a look here at the writing of truth. But it's interesting... If you were to look in your Bible in what should be the start of chapter 11, which is the second verse, how does he start out about this vision? And now I will tell you the truth. Now, wait, does he think that Daniel thinks he's lying to him? No, he's saying, I'm giving you what's in the book of truth. I'm going to tell you the truth from the writing of truth. This, and he gives them the vision. You see, this is a written instrument. Does God really have written instruments? Oh, yes. Does he have the books that he's going to open at the great white throne judgment that has everything that a person has ever done, ever said, or ever thought? Yes. Can you think of another book or writing that he has? How about the book of life? Who's in there? Every person who's going to be saved 
as of that time of the great white throne judgment, name will be in there. My name is in there. The, my favorite Amalekite's name is in there. In capital letters. In, in, uh, I didn't know. Have you read it? I haven't read that book yet. Are you suggesting that God writes in all caps? No. All right. Let's, let's go on. I shouldn't have said that because he doesn't. And he probably laughs at my ignorance. But I want you to see, I put out the Hebrew words that there's no question that this is a writing, a book, and it's all about truth. So this angelic messenger was familiar with it. So where would this writing of truth be? In heaven. That's where it resides. God gave the messenger the chance to review and read this book to give, which had this vision in it, and he's going to give this to Daniel. The vision of what's coming out. What did Jesus say in the upper room? He said, now I'm going to tell you things before they happen. Why? So you can know who I really am and use that as a means to convince others as to who I really am. And that's why Daniel, one of the reasons he's been given this is because that's why liberal scholars attack it so strongly. They don't want people to realize this is a divine book and this is prophecy. No other book. Do you have this in the book of, of Mormon? No. Do you have this in the Koran? No. It doesn't have these kind of prophecies that are so accurate and so detailed. But let's think. Is there any other books that we talked about the book of life? But let's first talk about this book. In Psalm 56, 80, it says this. You have taken account of my wanderings. You have put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? I believe there's a book of tears that God keeps of every time you've cried. Yes, he has a record of the book of tears. He knows every time you cried, he can recite them from his book. And one day you'll be able to see him when you maybe couldn't remember all the times you cried. Then the second passage, many, most people think, well, the book of life, that's only talking about in the New Testament. No. In, Isaiah, in Psalm 69, 28, he said, may they be blotted out of the book of life and may they not be recorded with the righteous. In other words, the psalmist is talking about a book of life where everybody's name is. And in fact, that was really first talked about with, uh, by Moses in uh, Exodus chapter 32 where he's saying, don't kill all these people, God. In fact, blot me out of the book of life and, and save them. Can you imagine the sacrifice he was suggesting that he would make? A final one I want you to see. In Psalm 139.16, it says, Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there had not been one of them. What is that? I call it the book of days. Does God know the exact number of days that are going to be in my life? Yes. yes. Does he know the day of my conception, the day of my birth, the day of finding the love of my life, and the day that I'm going to die? Yes. yes. So does he know that about my son who's going to go to Korea, if they'll ever let him back in? Yes. Can he, his life be ended before the last day in that book? No. Who holds his life, my life, your life in their hand? God does. 
And it doesn't stop. Your heart doesn't stop beating until he's ready. Should that not give us courage and take away fear? Now, that's something that I think is important. I want you to look at the last part of chapter 10, verse 21, the second part. Yet, now this is the messenger angel saying, yet there is no one who stands firmly with me against these forces except Michael, your prince. Now, Charles, who's speaking here? The messenger angel, right? No, wait, who says no one stands with me? Well, no one stands with me but Michael, your prince. That's the messenger angel, right? Okay, he said, you know, I had to fight through these princes to get here. Now I'm going to have to fight to go back, right? And he says, no one is on my side here except whom? Well, wait, if Jesus was there, wouldn't he have mentioned Jesus? Wouldn't you think? Is there anybody out there who could withstand Jesus? It'd be a walk in the park if Jesus is with him, right? He'd walk by all those other priests. Hi, bye. See you later. They can't, you can't stop me. I got Jesus with me. But he only had Michael. That's why I'm convinced Jesus wasn't there. Now, you, you, you can think whatever you want about who was there and what was there. Because, but I'm not going to agree with you on that because I don't want both of us to be wrong. <laughs> so, you think about that. Let's go to something interesting here. In verse, chapter 11, verse 1, which really should be part of chapter 10. It says, this is the messenger angel speaking now again. In the first year of Darius the Mede. Wait, who is Darius the Mede? King of Babylon. When Persia took Babylon, Cyrus appointed Darius the Mede. Because remember, there was a, a, a coming together and they were working together as partners, the Medes and the Persians. And an alliance between them. He put Darius there at first as king of Babylon. So, that was back in chapter 6, remember, with the lion's den. So that's who that is. And what did you say? In the first year of Darius the Mede, I arose to be an encouragement and a protection for him. Who? The messenger angel. He was given the responsibility to go and encourage Darius and to be a protection for him. Interesting. Now, I'm going to get myself in trouble because I'm going to say this is just my opinion and my guess, but based on sources that I have listened to or heard, do you know what president in our history has had more attempts on his life than any other president? Donald J. Trump. And has there ever been a time in history when there can be more sophisticated means of killing someone? No. And yet they failed. And they're still failing. Why? Could it be that there's somebody like that that our Lord has assigned? Now, some people would say, well, if the God's assigned an angel to him, why didn't he get him to clean up his language? Well, he's working on it. Yeah, he, he's working on it. But I want you to see that, and I wanted you to think that through because God does those kind of things. Now, a final thought. Three times in this passage, God had sent his emissaries to touch Daniel and give him strength. And then one time he had the angel speak to him and give him strength. Why did God do that? Well, it's really simple. Because Daniel needed to be strengthened in order to do what God wanted him to do. God wasn't going to just leave him there laying on the ground face down and let all his other companions find him there. 
He had a purpose. I'm giving you a vision. I want you to write it down because I want folks like us to be able to read it. In addition, of course, to Israel. Now, if he gave Daniel strength like that, is he able to strengthen you? Yes. What caused the angel to strengthen him? A plea from Daniel. I have no strength. I can't speak. I'm speechless. Touched his lips. God is prepared to give you the strength you need to accomplish what he wants you to do. But you have to do the four things that Daniel did. The four things in preparing for this kind of warfare. And then you will see him use you. You will feel his strength flowing through you. And let me tell you, he never gives you strength just to keep inside. He gives you strength to use, to flow through, and it affects others. Do you want that? Let me tell you, the times that I have experienced it, it has been absolutely phenomenal. Now, we're not supposed to live for experiences, but we need to realize he wants to strengthen us to accomplish his will. Not our will, his will. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for the time that we could come together. I thank you for letting us study what you have put in this book for us. Now, Father, I just pray that we'll recognize the strength that is available to us. And I know there's times coming when we are going to need it because Satan is going to try and destroy us. Wouldn't he love to destroy the bride of Jesus before Jesus comes back for her. He won't, but he sure would love to. And because of his corrupted mind, I am certain he's going to try. And he's going to reach out to those of us in America who have been protected, and he's coming after us. Help us, Father, to pray a shield of protection around us and our nation, just like you gave to Job before you removed it. And I pray, Father, that you'll put that up around us and give us that hedge. But at the same time, Father, help us to learn to reach our hand out to those who are outside of it and to seek to bring them in so that they can know you too in a personal way. Help us, Father, to recognize that if you're in a fight and you choose to do nothing, the only thing that happens to you is getting beat up. Help us instead to see ourselves as warriors, to allow you to train us, so that we can stand and fight for you in whatever position you put us in. Move in the hearts of those nine men and women who sit on the Supreme Court and may they take the first step towards stopping the killing innocent lives. Those who are unable to defend themselves or even speak for themselves. Pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus, and the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.